1: You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello welcome to Garibaldi Red as Nottingham Forest have beaten 2-0 by Manchester United to remain in the Premier League relegation zone. Joining me to discuss the game, VAR and more midfield woes are first of all Reds fan Mikey Clark. Mikey, good afternoon,
2: are you well? Afternoon Matt, yeah I'm good, are you?
1: Uh, good, good. Anyone who's watching on YouTube who can guess what Mikey's Football Top is can get a, a bonus point today because uh, it's pretty niche. Second guest today, a debutant in Emily Anderson. Emily, how are you?
3: Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Long time listener. Love
1: the First podcast, time caller. So
3: First time <laughs> caller, yeah. Lifelong Forest fan. I won't tell you for how many years because it'll scare you.
1: <laughs> well, it's good to have you with us. We'll probably Recognise recognize Emily from BBC East Midlands today, but as she says, a big Forest fan, so great to have her with us. And stepping off the bench after an injury in the warm-up to Gary Birtles is Darren Fletcher. Fletch, hopefully you're as good as Christian Eriksson was today in similar circumstances. Uh, how are you doing?
4: I'm very good. It's an absolute honour to step off the bench to replace the great <laughs> Mr Birtles, so I'm delighted. <laughs>
1: <laughs> good, good. Good to have you with us. So, um, as we said, beaten 2-0 by Manchester United, still in the Premier League uh, relegation zone on goal difference. Emily, do you want to kick us off as the debutant? Thoughts on, on, on the day? How, how did you feel it went?
3: Uh, really frustrating. Um, up to the first goal, I thought we were in it. We weren't terrible. We weren't great, but we were overrun in midfield by uh, mostly Fernandez and Eriksson. Casemiro didn't really have a lot to do, did he? We just couldn't get the balls up to Brennan. Um, so we, we we just had nothing in the final third. Um, there was that penalty shout that I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, it was a penalty, um, but we can talk about that more in detail. Um, I was still hopeful until the second goal went in. At half time, we went to the bar and had a chat and uh, with the family and friends. And we said, no, we're still in this. We can still get something out of this. And for me, it was the best chance we had of beating United because they had a makeshift back 4 that They'd obviously got Rashford injured. And then uh they had a player um in bit's was injured in the warm up, wasn't he? So Ericsson came in as a last minute, and it just felt like it was just so many wasted opportunities. And I just came away feeling frustrated, down, um, yeah, not happy.
1: Uh Fletch, you mentioned uh, Emily mentions Ericsson there. Bit of a killer, really, wasn't it? Because he came in and he was really good. And as Emily said, United really, they controlled the game in midfield. And we'll get into the rights and wrongs of it. But they, they were you know, they were vastly superior to Forrest over 90 minutes over overall, weren't they?
4: Yeah, they were. And I think that's, that's part and parcel of the Premier League, that Emily makes a, a valid point that Manchester United weren't as strong as they could be. And I think all 11 who started were were internationals um, yesterday. Emily mentioned Casemiro. I think that the the most undervalued thing that Casemiro does for Manchester United is his positional play. So you don't see him on the ball a great deal. But if you're an opposition midfielder and you're up against him, we saw this in the Champions League when he was in his pomp for Real Madrid. The positions he takes up on the pitch makes him such a factor with or without the ball. I think when he's in there in tandem with Ericsson and Fernandez has the freedom, they're they're a frightening midfield. I think if you look at the midfields in the Premier League, there's probably only Manchester City that would feel that they could go with them when those three combine. So I think that you know straight away is a heavy weight against a featherweight in boxing terms. I don't think there was ever really a combination that Forrest could have put together yesterday in that area that would have that would have matched them. Um. And, and, I, and I, you know, I, I don't necessarily feel too bad about yesterday because I didn't really expect them to do anything in that fixture. I think that there are other games that are more significant that would leave me feeling that way. I, I just got back in the in the car after watching it yesterday and thought Manchester United could have had eight, but Forest won't be the first team of a certain standard where the fans leave the stadium and say that. So I just thought it was they were just so superior in every facet, and sometimes in the Premier League, you just have to accept
1: it. I suppose, Mikey, we were talking last night, the weird thing to me was Forrest probably scored, could have scored three goals in the game. A One, he had a really good chance that was blocked early on, a shot over, where he probably expect him to do better, a Felipe header as well. But then from open play, that kind of vibrant football that we saw early in the season at home games wasn't there. Do you think that was as much United's quality and, a, 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 you know, combined the lack of confidence from Forrest? What, what do you think went wrong?
2: Yeah, it's probably a bit of everything I concur with, what what Fletch and Emily said earlier. I think I left the ground feeling disappointed. Yeah. Surprised. No. No, I, I think I'm with Fletcher. I, I didn't really expect us to get anything out of the game. I think I think my my frustration was seeing Ericsson in that starting lineup. What a player he is! He's absolute Rolls Royce of a player. We couldn't get anywhere near him. So half of me thinks it's a privilege to watch somebody like him play and grace the turf for the City fan. But the other half of me thought, oh damn, <laughs> you know, we really don't want him on <laughs> the pitch. Um, but uh, I think you're right, Matt. You know, we did have our chances. It, it felt a little bit like the Liverpool game, whereas if we could have got our noses in front. And rode a bit of luck. We could have got something out of the game because if you remember that Liverpool game, they missed. I mean, Van Dijk missed about three, four chances himself. Um, Henderson made a couple of great saves. So I was kind of hoping pre-game to have a bit of a, a, a repeat of that and get our noses in front. But when that didn't happen, again, I think I'm with Emily on that one. At half time, I still thought we were in the game. I thought as long as we keep it tight and as long as we have a bit of luck second half. You know, there's no reason why we can't get a goal back. But as soon as that second went, one went in, it's pretty much game over. But I wasn't, I was disappointed, of course, because the games are running out and its it just feels you look at who we've got left and you're thinking, where are we going to get a win? Because we're going to need at least two, maybe three. So if that game was the third or fourth or fifth game in the season, I'd, 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 I'd think, do you know what? They're just a really good team and they'll be up there next season. But because it's now getting to that business end, it just felt it's just a bit of a killer, really. So I, I was a bit down leaving the ground, I, I have to be honest. Mm-hmm.
1: How many points, Fletch, do you think they're actually going to need? Because the more I watch it, people are saying three wins. It feels like, you know, one win and three draws or you know any combination of <laughs> scraping a few yeah. more points gives you a shout, doesn't it?
4: Yeah, I mean, Everton were really poor on Saturday at home um, against Bullen. Leeds play Liverpool tonight and then they've got Fulham away at the weekend. Everton have got to go to Crystal Palace. I mean, their games are starting to run out as well. I mean, that's if we presume that Leicester and Southampton are going to be relegated. I think there was a general consensus a few weeks ago that it might be as many as 38. I'd be amazed now if you got to 36 and didn't survive because I, I I think it's difficult to make a case that any of those teams down there can win three out of seven when you look at the the run that they've been on. And I think they've all got the same problem, that, that none of them score goals. And obviously, if you're not scoring goals and creating chances, it's even more difficult to win games. I think that was one of Forest's issues yesterday. You know, Mikey and Emily both talked about the chances and you mentioned the chances. I think Forrest are generating so many few clear-cut chances. There's so much pressure on the man that it falls too, that you get a snatched finish like we saw from Awany yesterday. <laughs> You know, they're the kind of goals that you score if you're in a team where you're being served up three or four good chances a game or even half chances a game and you're having shots on goal. You might just have the composure to finish one like that. But Forest general chances in open play are so difficult to, to fashion at the minute that I think there's, a, there's almost a tension with the individual when the chance comes. And I think we saw that with Awani. I think he half felt that Dallow was going to get there and make a block, so he had to go with power. When in actual fact he had a fraction of a second longer when you saw the replay than he than he realized. I thought Forrest's most dangerous situations yesterday were set pieces, the long throw-ins from Near Kate, the corners that they had as well. I don't think United dealt with them at all. The one trick I thought they missed yesterday, and I was a little bit surprised with the pace in the Forest front line, is that they didn't go and clamp somebody on Maguire after the yellow card and just run down his channel until he until he made another mistake. Because I thought it early for the first 20 minutes. He kind of discombobulated mentally and didn't seem to be in tune with the match. He got the book in and and he was making mistakes. He was kicking the ball out of play. I just thought they missed a trick a little bit there that maybe they could have identified him and worked on him and all of the attacks could have been in between the fullback and and Maguire's channel and made him make some decisions to see whether he was going to make another mistake and actually get himself sent off. That was one of the things that disappointed me. I I thought that Owany in particular would have... Would have made it his business to go and be as big a nuisance as he possibly could be to to, to Harry Maguire in those circumstances.
1: Um, as Fletch says, there you know, we didn't create a huge amount of chances, and I think the consensus amongst the group is United fully deserved to win and probably mm-hmm. should have won by more. Really, uh, probably could have, <clears throat> they could have scored five or six if we're if we're honest. But there was the big incident in the first half, the Harry Maguire handball. So I'm going to play a clip from the manager, and then I'll. Um, get people's take on it but this is Steve Cooper post-match uh, on the penalty And,
5: and um, it's not the reason, I'm not going to say it's the, the absolute reason why we lost the game but I, th- I think it's a definite penalty Maguire and um, possibly a second yellow card um, and could be a, a game changer, I repeat it's not the reason why we lost um, and I'm not going to hide behind a penalty decision but I do think it's a really, really, really bad error. One from uh, uh, the, the referee on the pitch. Um, but, to benefit of the doubt, I get it the, the angle and the, and the bodies around the, the high uh, hand ball. But for VAR not to do it is, you know, they apologised last week, they're going to have to apologise again tomorrow, which means absolutely nothing.
1: I know, obviously, Emily, you, you were of the opinion it's a penalty uh, and I was as well. Is your frustration less so with the ref than VAR? Do you think, is that where it's gone wrong Yeah, again? because the
3: ref may have easily missed it. That It was a very congested 18-yard box, wasn't it? Um, and isn't that what VAR's for, to, to to check something that the referee may have missed? It was a clear arm. In the West Ham game, Antonio did the same thing. And Arsenal got a penalty. So why, why is it any different in the Man United game? I just want there to be some consistency with VAR. And I agree with Steve Cooper. We may still have lost the game, even if we've got the penalty. Maguire, maybe it got sent off for a second yellow. But it just feels frustrating that it was as clear as day. I've watched so many different angles of it and, you know, slowed down versions at full speed. And it, it, it's a handball in the way that the game works now those handballs are being given. So why wasn't it given in this case? Why didn't VAR take a proper look at it? From what I heard on the BBC Radio Nottingham commentary, they had a cursory glance.
1: Mm. Do you think it's one, Emily, where maybe it's not... Bad enough error for the referee to, you know, for the VAR to overrule the referee. A
3: clear and obvious error. Well, yeah. then what's VAR for? It's not like it hit here and you're saying, is it his shoulder, is it his arm? It hit his arm. His arm was in an unnatural position and it prevented McKenna, was it, from from heading mm. the ball in.
1: Mm. Mm. I suppose, Fletch. It's clear and obvious p- to me. Uh, you, uh, give me your opinion on that first, uh, when you, uh, first of all, but also, do you think refs, I don't think he did it here, but are they thinking, oh, I'll just leave this one to VAR to have a look because I'm not sure. Are they kind of backing away from responsibility a bit or am I being a bit too harsh?
4: I agree with a lot of what Emily says with regards to my opinion was it, <clears throat> it was a penalty as well. Um, I'd just be a little bit careful about the broadcasters saying that they only took a cursory glance. They wouldn't know that unless they have got a direct line into the VAR room. You wouldn't know whether they'd taken a cursory glance or not. When we do the television coverage we have a direct link into the room and if they do take a look all of the procedures are the same so they, there's not there's not a cursory glance in some situations and a long look in others they, they take every situation the same so that that wouldn't be correct so I, i'd, I'd want to
3: so why does some why does some decisions then take ages and others like this one
4: some are more complicated than others all right there are more layers to some. So when they do certain VAR checks, there are other things they've got to check as well. So not only would they check the incident itself, they would also check a potential offside within. So, so some can take longer than others and some, the angles that they get given by the television companies, because they've only got the, the number of cameras that are in there for the for the game. They sometimes don't get, even even with all the cameras in there, a genuine look at, at what there is. I think yesterday was not the case. There was a, was a clear shot of what looked to most people like a handball. And, and I think Emily's on has made a really good point. I think the situation we have now is that we've gone from VAR will prevent opinion. to now the opinion is the fellow watching on VAR. So you've got the same scenario. You had a, a man on the pitch who was making an instant opinion. Now you've got a man in a VAR studio making an instant opinion. So I don't I don't know what the difference is. It's still subjective. It's still in the mind of the person that's looking at it. And Emily's point that you get inconsistency is completely right. and we've seen it across the board. This is why certain managers, clubs are receiving apologies, and some aren't because some people as, as some individuals are better assistant referees and some individuals are better referees, some people are better VAR officials too. And some of them aren't, aren't very good. You know, one's already been stood down for not being fit for purpose this year. So it's it's not an exact science. And, and Emily's right. If you're seeing that penalty given in one match, you expect it to be given in another. Likewise, if decisions are being allowed to go, then that has to be the consistent approach. Howard Webb's not been there very long. I think his big challenge is to clean all of this up. I know that doesn't help Forrest in the situation that they're in but I think there's a lot of work that needs doing on VAR and Forest aren't the only club that are feeling the rough end of it at the moment. They're down the bottom, so it matters more. But it's across the board in general. We, we see it used on BT Sport in the Champions League and it works so much more efficiently and accurately than it does in the Premier League. Now, they've got the same kind of technology that we have in the league but I just think they're using a higher standard of official. They're officiating in the Champions League because they're the best officials in Europe. So they're able to make the decisions with less less scrutiny, less controversy, less fuss in a quicker, more precise way and get the decision right. You know, I think across the board in the Premier League, the standards haven't been high enough. So we get situations like that yesterday. And I think it's particularly galling when, as Steve makes the point, that could have been... A game-changing moment and it wasn't and I don't get it I, I, I don't know what why it was at West Ham or wasn't at Forest I don't know and I, I doubt as supporters we will get that explanation but I have tremendous sympathy with the manager because I think I was expecting a penalty to be given Felipe was adamant wasn't he I mean he was he was convinced it was going to be given and, and I, I just think we we Certain clubs this season have been the victims of bad officiating. It's as simple as that. And VAR doesn't make you a better official. If you're looking at it and you still can't get it right, you know that there's a problem fundamentally with with the person that's making the decision.
3: And I think I don't think Steve Cooper is normally very outspoken with regards to these things, is he? And he was, you know, he was he was very, very sure, wasn't he? He was very sure, as we heard in the clip from him, it It was a penalty, penalty. there was a mistake.
4: He's, he's at the end of his with it. Is, I think he quote he said, I'm
3: fuming. He said, I'm yeah. fuming. You wouldn't hear Steve Cooper say that normally. And that that shows how frustrating it must be for him and the team.
4: I tell you what is interesting though, and you asked the question about why some VAR checks take longer than others. We we get to listen to the process. And what will happen is the the VAR will say into the referee's ear, just hold play for a moment. We're just taking a look at and then you don't hear anything else until you either get check complete or we'd advise that you go and have a look at the screen for whatever reason so that's the way they're informed and then there's then the referee on the field is essentially out of the loop until the video assistant referee makes their mind up with regards to what the next form of action should be so that's the process um and then sometimes when you get check complete, the game restarts. And sometimes the person will say, I'd recommend you go and take a look at the screen because I think number six's arm is raised and he's handled the ball or whatever the case is. And then they'll go and look at it through the various angles that they get given. But then the referee is only given the angles that he's given. He doesn't get to see all of them. He gets to see the angles that are given. So I think it's a flawed process anyway, if you think about it, because the, the it's supposed to be officiated by the person on the field. But in actual fact, the decisions are being made by someone in a room because the, the referee isn't seeing as many angles as the individual is making the call. So I think a lot of it needs working on a refining. And I think this is why you get this, these mistakes, you get the controversy and you get, you, you get the confusion from the supporters because they're the people that miss out. You buy a ticket, you go and watch a match and you get told that part of the match you're not allowed to watch or know about I mean, you imagine going for theatre and saying, well, can you leave for the next 10 minutes because your ticket doesn't allow you this bit? And then you come back in and pick it up later. I mean, the fans just get hung out to dry by this crazy process where they've got no idea what's being looked at, why it's being looked at until they get a thing on the screen that says carry on then. I mean, it's, it's a disgrace, really, the way that they're doing it. The fans just get shortchanged and they pay so much money for, for football tickets that it's it's unbelievable, really.
1: I should say, uh, there was the second penalty appear where Dallow it obviously did hit him on the hand. Uh, and Steve Cooper said he didn't think that was a penalty, to be fair. And, and nor did I. I didn't think it was really. I was
3: dead in line with that, actually, because I, I was at the sort of um, in the Brian Cliff stand, but at the Trent End. So I could see that. And yes, he handballed it, but it, to me, it wasn't a pen. I wasn't too concerned about that. That was desperation at that point.
5: Yeah,
1: there wasn't anything you could do to get <laughs> out of the way of that one. Um, the other big debate around the game and the way um, Forrest went about it was around the midfield. And I think this is where me and Fletch will probably disagree a little bit around how, tactics and deployment of the midfield players. I, I actually lobbied for this team before the game with temps on the preview. And I said, we should play this formation. But for me, <laughs> Morgan was playing, uh, Gibbs-White was playing much deeper actually in the midfield and it didn't happen. And we were, uh, we were overrun with that too. So my key... What what was your take on it? And I'll come to Fletch after because I know he's got his opinion. Should Cooper have done something different, either from the start or been more proactive during the match? For you,
2: mm, yeah, hindsight's a good thing. You know, you know. Before I um, answer that question, I've never really thought of it the way that Fletch just described it. Going to the theatre for absolutely, absolutely right. So, what well, do being... you pay every year, Mikey, for tickets, yeah. and you don't see big moments in the match? I mean, it's not right, is it? No, it's not. Absolutely, absolutely not. So I am. Um uh that particular incident I've seen stills but then I saw Cooper just saying that's the first time seeing Cooper's interview you're right he, he he was not happy at all and I guess it's just a build-up of, of of you know similar decisions that we've got over the week so that's the most irritated I think I've seen him for for a hell of a long time so um yeah I think we're all agreed on that in terms of your question that um in terms of the formation I am. Um, I've got two schools of thought for it so i guess my first one is do you go toe to toe and try and match up with man united their system knowing they've got technically better players but if you don't then you're leaving yourself short in a particular area so the midfield at the expense of maybe getting the ball quicker for- forward quicker um i'm not going to be a hypocrite and say uh that's what i would have done because like i said hindsight's a, an interesting thing but i think I would have liked to have seen that extra man in midfield, be that Mangala or whoever, just while the game was nil-nil and when it was tight. And when we went down to 1-0, I personally would have liked to have seen Cooper change it a little bit sooner than he did. I think if you look back to last season, I think you said it to me earlier, Matt, Cooper was really proactive with his subs, really on the front foot. I didn't really get that view yesterday. I think we went into formation when it was too late and we were 2-0 down. So... Again, like I said, hindsight's an easy thing. I can understand why we went that way. Try and get the ball forward quick. Try and get Johnson. I can't really remember a one-on-one he had, but I think that was probably the game plan. But to leave three on two in midfield, and I know they're absolutely brilliant. we were always going to struggle. I think we had, what, 20 oh, 32% possession. I'm surprised we had that much, to be honest with you. So, again, it, it's, it's a difficult one. You know, you can you can argue each way, but I think I would have gone with that extra man in midfield just to try and stay in the game for as long as possible. But I do understand why we didn't do that.
1: So before you come in, Fletch, I'll just say my bit just quickly. I would have, uh, I thought Morgan gibbs had a poor game and really struggled to make an impact. And I think the move I would have perhaps liked to have seen was to take him off a little bit earlier, and maybe you do keep the same formation, you do something different or you bring Mangala on. I think Freuler in a two as well in midfield probably doesn't have the legs that they were playing it around him quite a lot. So I think my criticism of Steve Cooper would probably be around the subs that he wasn't quite proactive enough. And Morgan, I admire the loyalty, but I don't think Morgan had a good game and probably should have done something a bit sooner there. So yeah. What, what did you think about it? I, I
4: don't, I don't necessarily disagree. And I, I, I haven't got the answers. I'm just a, a fan like you are I mean I I just think the difference yesterday I, I don't think Forrest were ever going to beat Manchester United by dominating midfield I just don't think it's going to happen I think you could make any combination of the midfielders Forrest have. and when it's Bruno Fernandes Casimiro Christian Eriksen they're going to lose hands down if you were going to win that game yesterday you weren't going to win it in midfield you were going to take your chances when they came at the top end of the pitch and you were going to live dangerously at the other end I know that Navas had a a brilliant game and one or two things didn't go for them. Part of that nearly worked because in reality they could have had eight yesterday Hit the bar. Navas made saves. Ricochets didn't go for them on another day. That could have been ugly just based on their excellent attacking play. And that's on a day where Felipe and the goalkeeper and Nia all had really strong games. And Scott McKenna, I thought, defended well when he was on the pitch as well. So I just think that's a mismatch, whichever way you do it. I think the thing with Manchester United is their players are so good that they do tend to play without a strict structure. So Fernandez has got licence to go and play where he wants to play and Eriksen can go and play where he wants to play. But they're that good and they look after the ball so well that they make it a nightmare for you. I think the Forest situation is, I think you. my, my view is I agree. I, I thought Morgan Gibbs-White struggled yesterday. I think if Morgan's having a stronger game, then he might impact that midfield area a little bit more. But I think he was concentrating on trying to attack the other end. And it doesn't have to be two in midfield, does it? When you play with three at the back and you've got two wing-backs, they can go slightly narrower if you need to, to add to your numbers in midfield, but they didn't do that yesterday. So I think we can get bogged down sometimes on shapes and numbers and the kind of things that you can do. I, I just find it really hard to make any kind of case that whoever plays in central midfield for Forest that they can win the battle against those three because mm. they are elite, all of them. You know, I said at the start, outside of Manchester City, that's probably the best midfield unit in the league. So I don't think Forest were ever going to set themselves up to win that area. I think if they were going to win the match, they were going to do it another way. So while I, t- I take on board all of your points, and I don't think you're wrong, and I know a lot of fans think the same, I just think it's hard to make a case that whatever they do in there, you're going to win that area. And if you do go and pack the midfield to stop those three, how are you going to score? And once it gets to that area, how are you going to stop it? This is just the, the conundrum that you've got when you're up against players of that talent with those individual skills and a team that's playing really well. I mean, let's not forget, this is a super confident Manchester United team as well. So, I hear you. I get it. I just think Casemiro, Eriksson, Bruno Fernandes is a is a match for for anybody at the minute. Most of the teams in Europe, there might be two or three where you say they'd be inferior, but not many. And mm-hmm. I just don't think there was anything they could have done in there, really. If you put Mangala in, that's not going to make a difference, is it? Let's be honest.
1: Uh, what for Freuler?
4: Yeah, well, you, look, you could go. I think you who are Forrest's best three midfielders this season on four? Ryan Yates, <laughs> Yates, Kiate, and whoever else you want.
1: Yeah,
4: if you say we'll put those three against Casemiro, Eriksen and Bruno Fernandes, are we really sitting there and saying, Oh, we'll win the day there? I mean, it's just you see the point I'm making. They're just that's why Casemiro's 70 million pounds because he's the best at what he does in the world. It's mm. why Bruno Fernandes is. 50, 60, whatever he was, because he's he's in the top five in his position in the world. And had Christian Eriksen not had the near tragic incident in the Euros, then he would never have dropped out of football for a little while. Gone to Brentford, rebuild it. And now we're going. Oh, look, Eriksen's still a great player because he was always that standard, that elite. Which way you look at it, I just I just think. I just think if we're worried about losing the midfield battle yesterday, I can't necessarily see how we'd win it regardless of what they did unless Forrest went, But well, we'll put five in against your three. But if you do that, you've got no chance to score because you've got nobody at the other end of the pitch. I just think it's one of those things that you can't do much about.
1: No, that's true. I, I just think Mangala and obviously Yates as well, you just have that bit more energy just to try and make life harder when they're passing yeah. it around you. But they, they're going yeah, to pass it around
4: you. It completely, absolutely, completely. But
1: I suppose the other thing, Emily, is that when they can't get the ball to Morgan Gibbs-White when he's on that turn, on transition, or Morgan can't get in the game, it kills Brennan a bit as well, doesn't it? I mean, how many times did Brennan get the ball and have the chance to run at a full I-, I can't think of any.
3: Yeah, he was really quiet yesterday, wasn't he? But like you say, he wasn't getting the service. And I-, I agree with what Fletcher said, actually, about the midfield. We could have put anyone on that pitch, and we're not going to outclass those three. There's a reason why they're third in the Premier League. But I do think if Yates had been fit and playing, he'd have been more niggly and it would have really got in their faces and he'd have, been, he'd have had that aggression that we needed. We needed more aggression and we needed to not give them so much respect. And I think that's maybe where we went wrong. We, we gave Man United an awful lot of respect and what we should have been doing is digging at their heels, getting in on Maguire, like you said earlier, Fletch. I think he was right for the picking yesterday, wasn't he? Because he lost it within the first five minutes. And I said to my brother, he's going to get sent off today. Because it looked that way to begin with, didn't it? But unfortunately, we gave them too much respect. And yet, Brennan didn't get the service, unfortunately, yesterday. But how was he going to get it when we couldn't win that midfield battle that we were never going to win?
1: Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, I suppose as well, Mikey, Emily mentions lack of aggression. I think that's a gripe of yours, isn't it? They're a bit, you feel like they're too soft as a, as a collective without Felipe aside and one or two others.
2: Yeah, I, I use the word, passive, I think I used the word anemic on Twitter yesterday. It just it just feels as if exactly what Emily's saying. I can't remember like a tackle, like a proper 50-50 tackle yesterday, maybe one. And it, it just feels as if we just roll over and get our tummy tickled sometimes. I maybe being a bit harsh on them yesterday. Certainly the away form feels like that. But it just feels that if you take Ryan Yates out of this team, there there just seems to be something you know lacking in terms of the intensity and the aggression. And, and I guess what, what I don't like as well is it, it it almost transcends to what you see on the pitch. So if you remember, Man United nearly scored after a minute. And I I, um, I think Navas made an incredible save. And I, I watched them take the kickoff. And it may be because I was looking for it and people can tell me if they think I'm wrong. But I'm sure I saw us just drop back with sort of 10 yards just straight from the kickoff. So I would have loved to have seen, and this is what I want to see for the remaining games, is this just a, to just a get in people's faces and have a go and push up the pitch a little bit. It just feels as if we're really tentative and really passive and almost like we can't concede because if we go one nil down, that's kind of it. So we're going to stay in the game as long as we can. And it just feels as if we're just missing something, that crunching tackle, that winning the ball, pressing high up the pitch, you know, making it difficult for them. I just felt it was a little bit too easy for them yesterday. And, and I think every... It's just becoming more and more like that as the norm, and you know our away record is absolutely terrible. And when we go one nil down, that's pretty much it. And I don't want to see that at home. That's the thing Mikey, for
4: me. Mikey, can I ask you and Emily a question? Hmm? As, as, as 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 fans who probably go to the ground more than I do, because I'm I'm working a lot of the time when they play. Where where does the fan base think that comes from? I presume you're talking about like a, a general passiveness in the way that way that Forest play. Where, well, I where, think it's.
3: I think it's a lack of confidence, personally, because actually... from the players? A lack of... Or do you think it's from us? No, no, I no.
4: Think... I, I, what I'm trying to work... I don't know the answer to the question. Go I wonder on. whether the, the fans think, that it tactically they're sitting back and they've decided to approach games that way, where some teams would choose to press, some teams mm. choose to sit. And I know I've well, listened to a lot of people around me making the suggestions that certain players are lazy because they don't press. I'm trying to work out whether the fans think that it's the players either not wanting to press or not having the confidence to press or whether it whether they feel that they're being sent out there with, with the, the tactics of let's not overcommit because if we do press and it doesn't work, we're going to be ripe at the other end. I just wonder... I, I, I don't know the answer, so I wonder what the fan base thinks about where mm-hmm. that stems from, whether that's a player issue or whether that's a, a tactical issue.
3: Well, I can only talk for myself, obviously, and I, I can't read Steve Cooper's mind, but for me, at the moment, it feels like a confidence thing. They're so scared of making a mistake that they hang off and because they haven't got that confidence at the moment, because we've we've had a terrible run, haven't we? That they feel like maybe against a Man United, oh, we're not good enough, so so let's hang back. I don't think it's anything to do with being lazy. Um, Steve Cooper maybe said to them, you know, hold off. But for me, it's a confidence issue with those players. They just, they seem devoid, apart from Felipe and a few others that you've already mentioned, a lot of them just seem devoid of any confidence to get in there and get stuck in.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think three points in 30, no one in 10. You know, th- th- there's not much confidence. Fletcher, you mentioned about Manu. That is a confident team and you saw that. And I think, you know, if this game would have been played a couple of months ago, you might have seen a different approach from Forest. We just need... This is why things like the, the Maguire handball irritate me so much, because something like that could be a, a season-defining game changer. It, it, it honestly could. Like, if we'd have got something from yesterday, a 1-1, a 2-1 or whatever that propels you forward. It gets us out of the relegation zone. It's, it's such a big thing. And I just think they are, they just, they do feel scared. And I genuinely don't think that the manager says, don't press or anything like that. I, mean, I wouldn't say that, but it, it just feels as if we just need, they're almost praying for something to happen rather than trying to force it to make it happen. And and I really, if there's one thing I really want to see in the next few games is it's not to do that. Somebody put in the comments there to go down fighting. You know, I've watched teams that have got relegated at Forest and have been awful. And you do question some of the players, you know, that team that went down to League One. I I was there going, really? You know, you've got to do more than this. I don't get that opinion of this team, but they are absolutely devoid of any confidence. And the only way to get that back is to just believe and go for it. And if we lose, we're going to, you know, we've got Liverpool, we've got Brighton, we've got Brentford, Chelsea, Arsenal. There's not not a great deal of points in them. There's an argument that says we're going to lose anyway. So go down with a bit of... That's what I was going to
3: say, Mikey. You know, we're losing as it is anyway, so we might as well go for it and lose heavily. (laughs)
1: Let's uh, come on to, we've mentioned Felipe a few times. I just want to talk about him and Navas uh, and a, a quick shout out as well. I thought Williams and McKenna as well had good games um, but leading the pack by a long way was Felipe and Lava. So here's a bit from the manager on, on those two.
5: Brilliant performances, and and you know they're the two of the most disappointed. Well, we're all disappointed, but they 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 they're not bothered about individual performances because that's the type of guys they are. They were brilliant, you know, um, but they, they, they haven't come in. and thought that I've played well today. They've come in and they're really disappointed that we've that we've not won, you know. So, um, but you know. To, to win a game in this league and definitely against Man United, you, you need more performances like them two today for sure.
1: Is that the interesting words at the end, Emily? You need more performances like those two. You can't have two good performances in the Premier League and get anything probably.
3: We needed 10 Felipe's uh, really, didn't we, on the pitch? Um, he was brilliant yesterday. The thing that stood out for me, and again, it was at my end of the pitch... He headed the ball out, then ran after it and almost got it. So he almost headed a ball onto himself, took out the Man United player. And that is kind of what we need to bottle. And it, he just oozed confidence, actually. And he was one of the only players, I think, that oozed that confidence. Um, and Navas kept the score low. We could have lost six or seven nil if it wasn't for some of those saves. One in the first minute. And then they just kept coming, didn't they? Um but yeah, it's you almost need Felipe to instill some confidence in maybe in those younger players because obviously he's he's a bit older isn't he, than the others. Um I just yeah, I just thought he had a great game, as he has done for the past few games. But am I right in thinking he's still not won a game in the forest shirt?
1: Sadly, yes. <laughs> I think he's yeah, played 10, what, drawn three thoroughly undeserved. Now. Yeah, certainly, certainly so. Um on the preview podcast with Temps, I said. I questioned how many saves Navas had made that you wouldn't expect him to make since his debut. And to be fair, I mean, he made that that save from Fernandez onto the bar was probably the save of the season. I'm feeling a bit because Fletch is busy, but I want to throw it to Fletch because he'd made a similar point about uh Navas versus Henderson. I mean, you know, Navas to give him the credit earned his earned his money yesterday, didn't he?
4: Yeah, but that's what he's there for.
1: You wouldn't expect him to save that one onto the bar, would you?
4: He's he's won Champions Leagues. I mean, you'd expect him to make all kinds of saves. You don't play at Real Madrid. And Paris Saint-Germain, if you can't make saves like that, of of course you should make those saves. We shouldn't be surprised the way that Felipe's playing. You don't play for Diego Simeone for that length of time to not be able to play like that. I think the reason why we're a bit surprised is it's so long since the club have had players of that magnitude because the division that the club's been in. But they are, Felipe's been playing like that in the Champions League for a long time. Navas was playing like that at Real Madrid for a long time. That's why they didn't sign anybody else. I think it's great to watch him in action and and do that. I think it's fantastic. Um, But I I would make the point again that I think we've got short memories because Dean Henderson was, was pulling off some fantastic saves early in the season too. So they're a club at the moment that's blessed to have two outstanding goalkeepers who can make saves like that. And I wouldn't necessarily want to differentiate between the two of them because I think both of them have had magnificent times in games this season. So I'm I'm not surprised. It's Keylor Navas, ex-Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain. And he was at those clubs because he is of that standard. You know, one thing that does interest me, and again, I want to throw this to Mikey and, and, and to Emily, that... The first goal that Manchester United scored yesterday involved a mix-up between Felipe and Danilo. But all anybody says is how magnificent Felipe was. Now, had that been other players in a red shirt, they would have shouldered some of that blame. But Felipe didn't. It's all on Danilo's shoulders. It's been it's been widely agreed that it was a bad goal to concede. I think the manager said that that it was a bad goal to concede, and it was, because it was it was generated by Forest indecision is what you'd call it. If Felipe kicks the ball away, they don't score. He left it for Danilo, who falls over, and away you go. I just think it's quite selective sometimes how certain players are exonerated immediately, and other players that would that would be a legacy that would last for games and games that they were involved in a situation like that.
3: Maybe that's the wider fan base, but I'm not one for slagging off individuals. Actually, um, yes, that was a mistake by Felipe. But if you look at what else he did in the match, surely you can forgive him for that. It was just a how big, is,
4: how big is the first goal in a game like that? Is the point yeah?
3: No, no, you're absolutely right. And and actually, he could have scored, couldn't he? You know, um, towards the end of the match, he 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 just missed that header. And actually, they he might they have
4: sitting to Emily had it not been for him. So I get you. I know where you're coming from. but... Can't get away from the fact on a day yes, like that. Yes, he
3: made that, a mistake, but let's yeah. not, you know, they, they yeah. unfortunately, they all made mistakes. And yes, that yeah. was the mistake that led to the first goal, which led to us losing the game ultimately. Yeah. But um, I still think Felipe was outstanding. And oh, like you said, he really? should be. An athletic Madrid player should be outstanding. Of course, yeah. he should be. Um, I just thought he was head and shoulders, along with Navas, above the rest.
2: How good is Felipe going to be in the championship next season? That's a joke, by the way. It's been, it's been the best centre back that league's ever seen. But no, he's been he's been phenomenal since since he's coming, and that's what we need. A bit more, a bit more of what he showed yesterday. And um I was thinking about the goalkeeper as well. And Fletcher's right, we are we are blessed to have two brilliant goalkeepers. before yesterday, I would have absolutely put Henderson in for Liverpool. But I think Navas just showed why he's, why he's played at that height. I think, think he was great. It's, it's going to be hard to sort of dislodge him now, but that's just what we need. Just more of that, more belief. And just before I forget, a couple of weeks ago, I thought Bournemouth were doomed, right? So I don't want to come across as all doom and gloom. You know, we've got tough. They went to Leicester and won. They went to Tottenham and won. And now most people are saying, do you know what? They'll be all right. That's what we need to do. We need to pull a couple of big resorts out of the bag and then things will change significantly. From outlook to, to, you know, how, how we approach things. And I, and I do genuinely think that the only way we're going to do that is to try and get on the front foot in games and not be so passive. Sorry to go back to a previous point. But, you know, are we going to go to Liverpool and open up? Probably not. But oh, we've got a couple of home games coming up. Brighton, Southampton, we probably need to win both of them. I would say well, we're not going to win them playing nine men behind the ball
4: it's the reason why I asked the question about the first goal yesterday mm. because I agree with with Emily and you when you say confidence has to be low if you're low on confidence and you concede the first goal in a match you have a look at how many teams that are low on confidence can then come back and win that match you, and you can you can count them on one hand and I think as much as people want to see aggressive play let's go down fighting. Let's not be passive. I think it's as important to score the first goal in the match for everybody's mindset on the field. I think the more time they have to keep trying to come from behind, the deeper the hole gets, because the likelihood is you're not going to do it because of the points that you you've made already today, the confidence.
3: And time I think is- as well for Forest because we're only for Forest because we only tend to score one goal in a match, if any. I think it's more important for us to get that second goal. You know, the Wolves game's a prime example, isn't it? We were 1-0 up and then threw it away in the final few minutes. You can
4: score as many as you like, but if you're coming from 1-0 down, you're not going to score one No, 1-0.
3: I agree. No, I absolutely agree. And when you look at a side like Man City, they go one 2 nil down. They're still in it. Yeah. But we go 1-0 down, heads drop, game yeah. over.
4: I think we can't make that comparison though, can we? Because No,
3: absolutely not. I'm just, I'm just giving you a point that a team yeah. high on confidence, a world-class team going one yeah. nil down is not a big deal. I just think for Forrest, yes, we need to go one nil up, but I think that second goal is so important because, you know, in all these games when we've gone one nil up, I'm scared then. I'm scared we're going to lose it. And nine times out of 10, we do.
1: I think the thing about Bournemouth as well is they kind of earn that confidence to go to Spurs and play that way. And, concede in the 88th minute and go on and win the game because they've ground out form and picked up points in previous games Uh, and i wish forest were kind of at that step of their evolution but you know they stuck with o'neill and they did good business in january they signed Watara and young vibrant quick players and we didn't i suppose that might be another factor in this that they progressed their team and we probably made ours worse but we've discussed that before that's another Another factor. Um, just on the f- um the first goal as well. I kind of thought Danilo probably wanted to pass it where Felipe was, but Felipe was right behind him, and then he panicked, and then he lost it, and Fernandez was brilliant, and you know, that's a that's the mark for a top class midfielder. Uh and you know, they made us pay. Um right, on the relegation battle, just quickly as the clock's winding down. Fletch is Forrest's best case for staying up the fact that. There's a lot of crap teams in this league, and for us to one of them, they just have to grind out a bit more points than them.
4: Look, I'll say again. I seem to say every time we're on the podcast. I said the first time we spoke about this at the start of the season, and you said what, what what would be a good season, and I said 17th is is absolutely fine, and that that remains both a target and within reach. I think at the moment, you look at it that they're in a, a three team league with Leeds and Everton. Um, It looks to me, to all intents and purposes, that Leicester City and and Southampton are going to get relegated unless there's a a real change in the way they play. But when Emily talks about confidence, I would think their confidence is even lower than than Forest at the moment with with the run that they're on. So I think you're looking at Everton and you're looking at Leeds and you're looking at Forest. Leeds play Liverpool tonight and then they go to Fulham at the weekend. So they've got difficult back-to-back games. Everton were really poor yesterday and they've got Crystal Palace away who probably need one more win before they can go on holiday, which Palace tend to do when they've got enough points, which might bode well for the final day of the season. So I I think it looks like, you know, one from three. If you would have said to someone at the start of the season, you're going to be level on points with 17th, with seven games to go, and it's going to be Everton and Leeds who you're directly up against. Would you take it? Seven game season to stay in the Premier League, would you do it? think people probably would say yes I think the fact that Forrester on the run that they're on frightens people but as has just been mentioned Bournemouth have completely turned it on the back of a couple of results <clears throat> I think there's enough in the squad still in terms of talent to stay in the Premier League and I think that all of the conversations that that we have as supporters on this podcast Everton fans and Leeds fans are having on theirs and, and no doubt the manager's office and the training ground is just as Tense, as it is at the Nigel Doughty Academy. So, look, they've got as good a chance of staying in the Premier League right now as as Everton have, and that's what matters. I'd be really worried if they were four points adrift, needing back-to-back wins to get out, you'd then be saying, it's an issue. One victory now, three points, is is huge for anyone. And you don't know when it's going to come. Think back to Aston Villa a few seasons back. Dean Smith's the manager, they were dead and buried. I think they be Arsenal and somebody else they weren't supposed to be, And then Greeley scores at West Ham on the last day. They stay up and look at them now. It can change. And I think people have got to stay positive. This is the time now where everybody sticks together. And the, the, the thing I took away from the ground yesterday was full house, brilliant support, right behind the players. People have got opinions about what, what's right and what's wrong and what should happen and what shouldn't. And that's the right of a football fan who buys a ticket. We all think that but they stuck behind the manager and the players for 90 minutes. And and the, the, the fan base were fantastic. They've given the players everything and the manager everything. And I think the players and the manager will continue to repay that. I think it's time to batten down the hatches, stick together, little seven-game sprint instead of a 30-odd game marathon, and three wins. And there are three winnable games on that slate. And Forrest, I think, will be in the Premier League next season. So... You just need something to come and it often comes when you least expect it. These great escapes aren't often predictable. If you go back through them, you'll go, I didn't think they'd win that. didn't think they'd win that. That's why they play the games. You play the games for a reason because you don't ordinarily know who's going to win them. So it's, it's doable. They're level. They're level on points with Everton at the minute and Everton stink at the moment. So it's there. It, it's, it's, it, it's doable. Let's, let's relax. Let's try and be positive. Let's keep supporting the team the way everybody has all season. And, and, and if that's the case, then hopefully something good can happen. And I know, I know that the manager and the coaching staff are completely together, completely together, unified, um, analysing it the way they were analysing it at the start of the season. The players are, are a tight group. So it's not as if you've got splinters in the camp and you've got people falling out and you've got issues here. And issues there. I think the, the board of directors and ownership are pretty solid in, in, in what they what they hope for the rest of the season and what the plan is going to be. So you're giving yourself an opportunity to succeed. It's you just need a result from somewhere just to turn it. And with seven games to go and level on points with the team directly above you, it's tough. But it's not exactly a crisis situation just yet. I mean, it's it's it's, it's eminently doable, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's not a great escape if you see it coming. So God, Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, Emily, a, a lot of fans are increasingly kind of Cooper out, which is fine. I can see the case for it. The owner might want to feel like he's rolled every single dice to try and keep them in the league. So if people feel that way, fair enough. Well, where where are you on it?
3: I'm a very much Cooper in camp. Um For the main reason being, he has got an awful lot of credit in the bank for giving us the best year in our recent history. He got us up to the Premier League. He's almost shot himself in the foot by getting us into the Premier League too early. If we'd have finished mid-table in the Championship last season, having been bottom after seven games, we'd have all said, wow, he's done a great job, hasn't he? Let's push for the Premier League next year. Um, I think, as Fletch said, the atmosphere in the ground yesterday didn't feel like that of one of a side that was in a relegation battle we were loud we were supportive we were singing cooper's name he clapped the fans at the end there was no booing on certain social media sites it feels like everyone wants cooper out i would say that's a very small minority the people sat around me were more concerned about is this cooper's last time at the city ground do you think cooper will be okay i hope this isn't another nail in the coffin that was the feeling i was getting from it Um, And for me, we need to stick with him. I think you've mentioned it on the podcast before. In the history of the Premier League, am I right in thinking that no one's ever sacked their manager at this stage and stayed up? Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. good would we do now? And do you know what, Fletch? If you'd have told me when, when I was sat in my seat at Wembley last May, when we got to the Premier League, that we would be in this position now, this position, I'd be thrilled. I handle. was expecting an absolute dogfight, bottom of the table, probably already relegated and looking for life in the championship. But we are a win and a draw. Well, at the moment, we a, a draw takes us out of the relegation zone. We obviously need to get some wins together. Our goal difference is terrible. So we just need to forget about that. Everton and Leeds have got not an easy run in either. We've just got to keep going. I totally agree with you, Fletch. We've just got to keep going. And this isn't me being overly positive, overly optimistic. This is me saying we are a former championship club that has spent 23 years down there. We're up here. We weren't ready for it. We've got a makeshift squad that are starting to to form, form a good team now. And actually, even if it goes down to the last day against Crystal Palace and I want to shins it in, in the 94th minute. I'll take that. I will take that right now. I mean, my heart will just be in my mouth for the next, however many weeks, but yeah, I'm sorry. This is how I feel as a fan.
4: I've, I yeah, said, I've, been, I've been waiting for this kind of support on this podcast all year. I've got you miserable so-and-sos and Emily comes up. <laughs> I I've go got- into every yeah. game, Fletch. Yeah.
3: I go into every game. This is the truth. I go, yeah, I'll we'll win this today. And then my, yeah. my, yeah, my confidence dwindles probably a bit like the team. Well, um, but no, my, my, my heart says to me, we can do this. We can stay up. And you know, if we don't, we've made a pretty good shot at it, haven't we?
4: Yeah, I, I, all, I, all I do in, in situations when I feel like I'm having an internal discussion about the manager, is I go onto to soccer base and I look at the list of managers that the, club, the club's had. And it's enough to make you think, well, let's just give Steve Cooper a 10-year contract. Because when you think of some of the names on there and the disasters they were, and every time a manager was changed, the belief was the one that was coming in was better. Yeah. And they never were. You know, they were always no. either the same or inferior. And my, we've got a guy here now that came in and blew the city apart by the way he galvanised everybody last year and gave everybody the a lot of Forest fans, the younger Forest fans, have had their greatest ever times under Steve Cooper. The older ones, like me, are holding to remember, yeah, to remember Cluffy and to remember what yeah. Frank Clark did and remember the season of the day pass mm. But not everyone I remember
3: the European. I remember the European games. I, you know, yeah. I was my first games was Brian Clough in charge, and we didn't lose. You know, I'd go to games, and we were one of the top teams in the first division. Um, And actually, for the first time in all those wilderness years where every manager's, yeah, he's going to get us up, he's going to get us up. And finally, Steve Cooper, and you you briefly mentioned it, he's not only changed things on the pitch, but honestly, it sounds corny, but the way that the whole city has taken him on board, I've got friends that aren't particularly football fans, but they love Steve Cooper because of what he's done for our city. And I think we need to be forever grateful for that.
4: I think the interesting thing when you, if there are, a, if there are groups who would like the manager out, I fully understand it because that's the prerogative of a football fan. And even Steve, if you met those people, would say, "I get it. I'm not one of to right. things. I understand you feel that way." But it's what's the alternative? And
3: that's my head says that. My head that's says boring. even if I think actually, you know what, you know, we've had a terrible run. So in, in ordinary circumstances, maybe we would get rid of Steve Cooper. But you tell me who can come in now and do a better job than him, who can do as good a job as him right now, who's available.
1: Mikey, you were feeling very down last night and convinced <laughs> you were relegated. And I wasn't feeling much better. Have, have Fletch and Emily made you feel any better? Have they given you hope for the final weeks?
2: Oh, yeah. I love listening to that. That was great. I just sat back and listened. and it, it, It's brilliant. It's, it's very uplifting. Um, yeah, because you... you you, you you've ingrained in the emotion of it you know you you, you, you come out of that ground <clears throat> another game's gone you've not won you're in the bottom three you know it, it's probably easy to say we need to make a change we need to make a change And if you would have asked me last night I probably would say well we need to do something um hearing that argument has it changed my mind probably I think logic probably says that who is there to come in for the seven games and more importantly maybe who do they does that person stay next season as well because it if, if we are down, who's the best person to bring us up? If we are if we are in this league, is that the right person to not just be in a firefight for 10 weeks, but to actually be, you know, um, somebody that we can kind of pin our hopes on for the next season or two? I guess where I'm at at the moment is I probably would make a change. And I know that that is going against what Fletch says and against what Emily says. But I would want to absolutely get who the alternatives are and make sure I get the right person. I would only make the change if the person coming in and his people are give us a better chance of staying up. And you know that stat around managers that leave at this time, none have stayed up. I'd need to be convinced of that. But I guess I'm still instilling that emotion. It was yesterday. I'm still quite emotional about it. We lo- we lost again. It's not just that. You know, We've not won for 10 games, three points in 30. It is relegation material, and it is... Questions need to be asked. And Fletcher you, you were right. I'm sure Steve himself would probably go, "Yeah, I get it." I guess I'm probably verging on that. But I'd need to, if somebody was available right now, where I thought, "Yes, get that person in," because they are the people to keep us up, and more importantly, they can get us going for next season. I'd make the change. So I'm literally just. Oh, I like, Let me throw uh, you here, right.
4: If if Forest were in the situation they're in now, right? And Sean Dykes was available. I think there'd be a number of Forest fans, I don't know what the percentage is, who would say he'll keep us up. He'll win enough of the seven games. He'll find a way to keep Forest up. If you then throw to Everton and look the impact he's had since he's been there, they've got the same number of points at this stage Forest have. And he's won a couple of games at home, but that's not translated to. Them pulling away. Now, I think if you look at a candidate and say which what kind of candidate will give you a chance, he'd be one that you'd look at.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: But I think the example is that when he then goes in, it doesn't always translate. That it's not just the the thing I always, I always struggle with when, when, when we have this kind of discussion is there are so many moving parts to a football team. Eleven individual players with different heads on their shoulders and different thoughts in their own brains. And we as football fans automatically think that one bloke can walk in the room and everything's okay. That you give it him, it'll be all right. And it, it just doesn't work that way, does it? It just doesn't. And I think it's such a it's such a crapshoot, really, to go and get yourself a, another manager in the circumstances that you're in, even when everything's great and you've got unlimited resources like Manchester United have. Look how many bad decisions they made after Ferguson. They couldn't get it right with all of that money. They could got, they've got the pick of just about everyone in the world, and it's taken till Eric Ten Hag to get the right one. If how can you expect a club like Forrest in the situation that they're in now to just automatically pull the rabbit out the hat and find the fella that's going to turn a club that's struggling towards the bottom and turn them into a team that can win three in the row? Why would that be better than the guy that's already there and knows how to? press everybody's buttons, knows what the, the weaknesses and strengths are of all the people in the room. I don't know why that, why we automatically as football fans, and we're all guilty of it, I'm the same as you, we're all guilty of it, thinking that that's the way to do it. It just, when you actually sit down and logically look at it, you go, What's well, that's bonkers. We, but, but we all go, oh yeah, let's just make a change, and be all right. But- Couldn't agree more,
3: Fletch. You know, if, if, like... if, if getting a new manager in was that simple, surely Chelsea would have done it by now, wouldn't they? Well,
4: they got to go. There's another one, Emily.
1: They can, they can have a Great anybody. example.
3: Anybody. Exactly. And also, Mikey, I'll say this to you. Be careful what you wish for. Mm. If we go gung-ho, get rid of Cooper, get a new manager in, we're just going back in time.
2: Mm. How long will that yeah. manager
3: last? Oh, yeah, we'll have another manager that will take us up from the Championship into the Prem. Same what, old what... cycle, we'll start again.
2: Well, that's it. I remember getting relegated in 99 and everybody so was saying... So do I. I was oh. there. Oh yeah, you know we'll come straight back up. Yeah, well we didn't, did we? No. So And how many no. managers did we get? Do we get through? So I am, I am more on the cusp of you guys. I, you know, I absolutely appreciate that I'm in the minority here, but um, it Mike, would need now, to be. Let me be...
4: make the point because I get a bit of stick for the things I say on here. I, I, I used to be quite popular on here, but I'm not anymore. But I'll make <laughs> the point here that, that the people that have that opinion, I don't think they're wrong because. They're football fans who buy tickets and buy shirts and have a massive role to play in the club. And people have an opinion. They're not wrong. I'm not right. They're not wrong. We disagree. And ultimately, Evangelos Maranakis will make the decision regardless of what any of us want, think, like, whatever. So, so that's the end of it. I don't, I don't disagree with it. And I can see a lot of the arguments that you make because natural logic tells you that before the end of a season like this, you would try something different to stay up. All I'm saying is that it's only my opinion that I would stick with Steve and then work it out in the summer, depending on league position, as opposed to doing it now because I can't see an alternative out there. If Patrick Vieira at the moment is the best option, and he seems to be the Bucky's choice or whatever... I'd sooner stick with the fella that we've got because he knows the club. I don't see Patrick as an instant I walk through the door and blow the place up and away we go. I don't see that. I don't see him being that impactful. I don't think he's a bad manager. I think if he came into a club and and, and did it organically, he'd be fine. But I don't see him being Mr. Impact. You know the way that Neil Warnock's gone in at Huddersfield? He's walked through the door. They put the shin pads on, kick seven bells out of each other. Probably had a couple of nights out and they won a couple of matches because that's what Neil does. Big Sam's like the same, but that person's not there. And this is like seven games to catch lightning in a bottle now, isn't it? Yeah. You're not you are not thinking, right, we've got enough time for a long-term plan. You've got Ron Atkinson used to be the best, is it? That's why they called him ready He'd walk in, you're you're in the mess. He'd win a couple of games, keep you up and he go off again. Made a career of it towards the end till he came to the Forest and couldn't do it. But all I'm saying is, is that you, it's not just about being a good manager. You've got to be an impactful manager, and that's different. You've got to walk through that door, and the dressing room has to go, wow. If you speak to the European lads, they say the first day that Brian Clough walked in that door, it was like a whirlwind swept through the club. And from that point on, it was like it was different. It took a couple of years to get it going, but it was different. You're looking for someone to come in with the charisma, leadership, ability, track record to go, have a bit of that. I've just set a stick of dynamite off in the changing room and on we go and the boys go, poof, brilliant. Here we are. I can't see someone with that skill set out there. I don't see them. I see good managers, people that could come in at the end of a season and go, right, let's put a squad together, take pre-season, have a look. What are you going to play? Going to do this. Brilliant. And it'd be okay and be successful. I get that. But this is seven matches, haven't won in ten. Great fan base. Can you come in and and have that impact? And that's where I that's where I don't see someone. So that's what that's what makes me say as a fan, would I'd, I'd stick it out because I don't see the impactful person. I think it's about impact now as much as tactic. Team selection, because don't forget, we've tried every possible blooming team selection this year. Not sure there's too many more we could do. Impactful, and I've, that for me is why I'm in that camp. But as I say, the other people that aren't that go, well, I'd do this. I get you. I hear you. I don't. I don't think it's wrong at all. I don't. But that—that's why I'm on the side that I'm on, just to explain it.
1: But I think as well, like the owner, if he saw that person out there, then he'd have gone and got them because you know he's put all his money on the line if he'll take emotion out of it, and I guess he hasn't seen that person. And like Fletch says about a Warnock or an Allardyce, I don't think this group responds to a Warnock or an Allardyce, really. It's I don't think it's the right group for that. Someone in the comments, I think it was Adam, mentioned we need a young leader. Oh, yeah, we need an intelligent young leader like Vincent Company, which is a fair shout, but Vincent Company's going want to take this job right now. There's not many managers worth their salt they're going to go near this job. You have to wait till the end of the season and see where we are. And then you reassess it. And then maybe Steve Cooper still goes.
4: What if, but right what now? If, I wonder, and I don't know the answer to this. Maybe maybe people would say in the, in the comments, what if Forrest would have got rid of Steve Cooper and brought in Dean Smith, Craig Shakespeare, John Terry? Would the, would the people then who would like a managerial change be happy with that? If, if Javi Gracia was the manager that came in to replace Steve? Would they be happy with that? Because we can only look at the managerial changes that have been made because they are obviously the people that at this stage are prepared to take the jobs. Because there are managers sat at home who are being asked by various clubs, would you come and managers who say, not in these circumstances, no. I'll happily speak to you at the end of the year, but not now. Because they don't want to be tarnished with a a relegation. So the the managers at the moment who are saying, yes, okay, then, I'll come. would, Would you swap Steve Cooper for Dean Smith? Would people be happy to swap Steve Cooper for Javi Gracia? I don't know the answer. I'm just asking the question because these are the people that you would be replacing them him with because these are the ones that are saying yes to the teams. I mean, Jesse Marsh has been asked by two or three clubs now and won't do a deal. So he's obviously waiting for something else. If you said we're going to get rid of Steve and put Jesse Marsh in, would people be happy with that? He's prepared to manage. Mm-hmm. This is the problem. When you look at making the change, these are the managers at the moment who are out there and are saying, "I will come and manage your club." Does that give you a better chance? I don't know. I'm just saying. But it's not as if the best manager in the world is sat in his house saying, "Well, if Forest ring, I'm off. I'm going. I think this is this is what I've been waiting for. Seven games. I mean, this is this is exactly the challenge I want." Mm. I know mm. that, that's the, that, that's always been the issue for me. Just look at the ones who are prepared to say, "I'll come." I wouldn't want to swap Steve Cooper for Dean Smith. I'll be honest. I'd sooner keep Steve. Mm.
1: And the thing about Leicester is, as well, I mean, I wouldn't rule Smith keeping them up because I think, frankly, they've got better players. I think Ian is a good player. Get a tune out of Madison, get Tielemans interested for the final six weeks of his contract. You know, we're. Cooper's been down a rough hand, I think. This is a different debate, but.
4: Matt, three have got to go down, right? Yeah. Southampton at bottom, change the manager, hasn't worked. Leicester right. second at bottom, hmm. change the manager, may not work. Forrest, third bottom, still got the same guy. But then look above that, Everton, change the manager. Forrest could go above them with a point. Then you say, well, Sean Deitch, hasn't worked. Look above that, Javi Grassi is next. He could lose at Liverpool tonight, Fulham at the weekend, and be right back in again, despite the... they've changed the manager, hasn't had the impact they were expecting. And these are clubs that changed their manager earlier where there was more time to come in and put your imprint on the changing room, change the tactics, put your influence on them, work it all out. At least two of the clubs that have made a managerial change are going to get relegated this season. At least two. Because there's five down there and three are got to go. And there's only one that's not made the change. So it doesn't always work is the point I'm making. And if you look at the people who have gone in, I don't know how confident everybody would be about their abilities next season either.
3: I think as well, with seven deck games to go, Fletch, we're way past, we are way past changing our manager. It's just too late. And any manager worth their salt isn't going to want to come into a forest side that are sitting in 18th in the Premier League. No wins in 10. Oh, yeah, I'll take that job on till the end of the season. I'd stick Mm -hmm. with Cooper.
1: Right. Uh, we have gone for an hour and 10 minutes almost. So I think we shall leave it there. If you've liked this as ever, do like, subscribe, give us a good review on iTunes, spread the word in general. Very much appreciated. And thanks to everyone who's commented uh, as we've gone along. Sorry, it's too many to read, but I did try and keep up with them. So uh, much appreciated as well on that front. Mikey, thank you very much.
2: Brilliant. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed that, especially that last debate. It's really interesting to get all the people's points of views, uh, yeah. see where we are. Yeah, it's really good. Thanks, guys.
1: No, it's good. It's good we don't all agree and we have different views. So that's a, a good thing as well. Emily, hope you enjoyed your debut. We're very much glad to have you and hopefully you'll come back on.
3: I loved it. Thank you. It was a pleasure.
1: Good, good. Fletch, how, you know you've got a bit of a cold. You've run yourself into the ground there. Good shift. How are you feeling? I'm all right. I'll
4: feel a lot better before I get nine points on the board. <laughs> by some stage, just at some stage, you could throw anything at me then and I'll just laugh it off.
1: True, true. I'm sure we all would, and hopefully they do. Right, Uh, we're back later in the week with a Liverpool preview. We didn't really touch on that game, but we'll talk about that in much more depth on uh, Thursday, I think. So in the meantime, have a good week, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we shall see you soon.